As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pot on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. Alexander Izak delivers another three points, but did we deserve it? The Fulham win goes under the microscope. Midfield mishaps will the week's events push Newcastle into the transfer market. And the beautiful South, Palace and Southampton, the hosts, on our next road trips. Who has cup fever? Hello, yes, this is Pod on Tyne. I am Taylor Payne, and this week I'm hosting a trio of the Athletics' finest yet again with senior writer George Cock, a new boy, Jacob Whitehead, and of course, a UFC correspondent, Mr. Chris Woff. Uh, how are we doing, chaps? Are we good, Chris? How are you? Well, I've noticed that I'm wearing the same hoodie as George, so no, I, I, felt, I felt better about things previously. <laughs> I always knew sartorially you two would line up eventually. It was bound to happen, wasn't it, George? How are you doing? Are you all right? No, I'm also not all right. I'm, I've, I've had a sense of proper edginess since that Southampton Man City game the other night, and too many people talking about cup finals, including myself. I'm excited, but I'm nervous and like yeah. the first time I think probably since the takeover. I'm sort of, I've just have that sort of slight uh, something on the horizon, which I yeah, but it's a good feeling because it means hmm. Newcastle have something massive at stake, but it's also a bit unusual. I think it sort of hangs over everything at the minute. Yeah, it certainly does. And Jacob, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. A lot less existential than George. I just woke up this morning, saw the snow and was hugely excited. So all good here. <laughs> You're going to be getting your sledge out later on, are you? Well, I've had recommendations that Town Moor is a good spot for little hills there. Yes. I do love a bit of Town Moor sledging, I have to say. I haven't done that for a couple of years, but I have, I have, uh, I have done it relatively recently. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been on a sledge. There's a tray left in the Airbnb, which I think I could probably use as a kind of DIY sledge if I just sit on that and I reckon I could really get up some speed because there's no friction like a tea tree yeah tea tray bin bag you're allowed sledge from Thorpes and Gosforth your plastic sledge from all those things are allowed we used to use um, an opened up crisp box open up crisp box you were lucky Um, we used to (laughs) use we just had a uh, sheet of glass (laughs) we just yeah Anyway, well, it's good to have you all back, chaps. Let's crack on. We've got lots to discuss. Um, We're going to discuss the Fulham match in a moment, but let's start a couple of nights earlier. Uh, Chris, there are ongoing legal proceedings here, so we're kind of restricted in what we can say about the incident. But if you could provide the facts as we understand them about what's going on with Joe Linton right now. So as confirmed by a Northumbria police uh, spokesperson, uh, on uh, around about one twenty a.m. on Thursday morning, uh, Joe Linton was uh, pulled over 
in the Pontyland Road area of Newcastle and uh, was arrested. He was subsequently charged with uh, driving whilst over the prescribed limit of, for alcohol and he is due to appear before uh, Newcastle Magistrates Court on January the 26th for his uh, hearing to be heard. Obviously, subsequently, he was then selected to start uh, for Newcastle United uh, during the 1-0 win over Fulham. Okay, um, Jacob, um, Eddie Howe made some comments about this in his press conference as well, didn't he? What did he say? So on Friday morning, he said that he wasn't entirely sure at that point whether he was going to pick Joe Linton or not. He said that Joe Linton wanted to play, that he hadn't yet addressed the team about it. Joe Linton hadn't, but he'd have the opportunity to do so if he wished. And then yesterday he added that he'd had a big meeting with his coaching staff after training, and that's where they decided that... Joe Linton was going to be in the starting eleven, as he has been for every game in Newcastle in recent memory. Yeah, it's an interesting one, this George, isn't it? Because obviously there's a there's a court case uh, 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 pending, um, but there's going to be a lot of people interpreting this in different ways. Joe Linton playing, or should he have not played? What's your thoughts on this? Well, I, I expected him to play. Um, I expected him to play as as long as he was prepared to do it, and I mean, it's very difficult these these situations. And I think probably whatever the club had decided or whatever Eddie Howe had decided, he would have been criticised either way. He did think about it very carefully. I know that, and internally they're saying and saying sort of widely that Jalinton's been very apologetic, understands what he did, and is under no illusions about that. And he played, and he was he was obviously very very good. Certainly, certainly up there as as a candidate for man of the match alongside Sean Longstaff. I thought probably, and this is not me making a sort of editorial comment here. Really, it's just that when stuff like this happens, I always think back to me at the age of twenty six and the number of mistakes I'd made in my life at that point, and the number of mistakes that were still to come in my life doing very very stupid things. Anyway, that's all I want to say. But yeah, he played and he played He played very well. He certainly did. Well, we'll, uh, we'll have a little quick break and then we'll be back in just a tick to talk about that game on Sunday. And so to events on Sunday, chaps. A win for Man United meant that Newcastle dropped to fourth place, but a win against Fulham would see Eddie Howe's men finish the day back in the top three. Fulham have been sneaking up the league as well on the sly, uh, and they came to St James's Park well in form. Um, Chris, it was all Newcastle for 45 minutes, wasn't it? But no goal. Again, the frustration of not being able to put the ball in the back of the net. It felt like it was going to be that day again, didn't it? I'm not sure I agree that it was all Newcastle for the first 45 no, minutes. No, it wasn't. Think? I think actually for the first 15, 20 minutes, I thought Fulham were on top. Without really creating any clear-cut chances, I thought that they unsettled... Newcastle. I thought it was the first time in a long while I've seen a team come to St James's and at least make Newcastle look a bit uncomfortable. I thought Sven Botman first 10-15 minutes didn't look as composed as he has been previously. I thought other players, the passing maybe wasn't quite there and then Newcastle grew into it and became the better team. And as I say, Fulham didn't actually create really anything. I was going to say, I don't remember them having an attempt on target in that first half. No, but in terms of, te- I mean, I think the first 10 minutes, Fulham had had about 65% possession. So they had a lot of the ball and they'd also got in behind a few times. He, you could see that Mitrovic, although not getting the ball, was trying to pull off Botman and go on to share whenever he could. So I actually thought Fulham started quite well but Newcastle weathered the, 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 that they, they made sure that Fulham didn't really have any clear cut attempts on goal and then they gradually built into the match and then by the end of the half because Newcastle early on didn't have many clear cut chances they had long staffs which was blocked uh, when he when he was in the area but until Wilson had a couple of opportunities later on in the first half they themselves weren't quite at that sort of level of creating opportunities but then I'd say from about half an hour onwards Newcastle were very much the better team and the only one who looked like scoring. I mean, they, they didn't look like a team who were who were likely to lose that game, George. But it was it was hard going again. We left it late, didn't we? We made it hard work. Oh yeah. Well, there's nothing sweeter than the way that that game ended. I mean, that was it was fantastic. No, I mean, I I I agree with Chris. I thought Fulham started really well. I I, I thought they were good actually. I mean, in terms of certainly in terms of their attitude and their physicality, they uh, you could see that they're full of confidence and having a good season themselves. Two of the Premier League's overachievers, you would say. And I think, you know, before the game, you were wondering whether they would be sitting back and inviting Newcastle forward, but they didn't do didn't do that at all. Newcastle had to remain very, very patient and they had to 
you know, they had to dig in. They had to use uh, every trick uh, known to man to uh, to kind of eke out that win. We'll come on and talk about some of that in a in a bit. But it was a tough one, and it, in the circumstances, it also felt like a a big one. It did, Jacob. We spoke about this last week about the chances falling to maybe the wrong players at the wrong times, and and in this game, especially in the first half, we had a couple of chances. Callum Wilson got in, but they weren't clear cut, were they? Newcastle just weren't creating clear cut opportunities. I guess the first major chance fell to Sean Longstaff when he was played through by Bruno's ball. I don't think you can really blame him for the finish. It was more a, a great block by Diop than kind of actually any it was a great a, block, any yeah. faults to Longstaff there. And yeah, none of Wilson's chances were really clear cut. They're kind of him doing well to get his head on it, but kind of not really being being in a position where he could add much power. So not as much concern in the finishing sense. I thought the concern was just actually the amount of space that some of Fulham's midfielders were getting to drive into. When when Newcastle did well against Arsenal, it was around kind of blocking Odegaard getting the ball in those kind of dangerous areas where you saw like players like Harrison Reed, he's kind of ostensibly Fulham's kind of sitting number six, driving forward, Willian cutting in. That was what looked quite dangerous, even though there wasn't the end product, apart from, I think, one Mitrovic shot on the turn in the first half. There were a couple of really beautiful Wilson turns, though, as well, weren't there, where he, he, he made chances for himself. And hopefully that's a sign of him coming back into things because he, has, he hasn't looked fully fit, I don't think, since the World Cup. He hasn't looked uh, particularly sharp. But there were absolutely, um, yeah, a couple of lovely little turns shooting straight away. Hopefully that's a sign of things to come from, from him. Yeah, there was one on his right foot when he got in on goal, turned the defender and, and tried to put it past the keeper, but he... He had just hit it too close to the keeper, didn't he? And it just wasn't there. Maybe he's, uh, maybe he's still coming back to fitness and back to full form. There was a turning point, or what potentially could have been a turning point in the middle of the game, in the middle of the first half, sorry. Bruno uh, going over on that ankle, it looked really nasty, Chris, on the replays. And you could see that he wasn't right straight away, heavily strapped. He got back, back up to his feet and played through the rest of the first half, but then he came off in tears at half-time. Do you think he knew that he was going to be out for a while off the back of that injury? It looked really nasty. I think he feared that he was going to be. I mean, the whole thing was pretty puzzling, to be honest, because it was it was in sort of the first 15 minutes just about that he, that he did it. And then, yeah. yes, he, he went off. I mean, looked in real discomfort at that point, went, went off to the side of the pitch, came back on, and never looked like he could really run it off. And there was a few times where he was sort of gesturing to the bench. They were asking him how he was, and he was saying at first that he, he wanted to continue, but you could see he couldn't actually... There was quite a few times he was passing the ball and then wincing. Uh, and then it got to... I think it was about the 36th minute where Newcastle had a corner, and Nick Pope was called over by uh, Jason Tyndall. Very, very brief comment. And Nick Pope went back to, to, to his area and then suddenly went down. Now, I am not necessarily saying that one thing led to another there, but at that point, Bruno Gimaraes then came off the pitch to be, to receive some strapping. And it also looked like he was given some sort of a painkiller or something. He seemed to be given something by a physio to, to, to then swallow down. And then he came back on the pitch. But then in the last five minutes of the half, he was basically gesturing every minute or so to the bench to basically say, I can't continue. And yet he was sort of staying on and there wasn't anyone warming up. And it, yeah, was, it was really all strange. a bit puzzling as if to see to try and get through the half time. But it, then then the tears came before the half ended. Uh, he was sort of embraced by Joe Linton as he, as, he was, as he came off the pitch and sort of while he was still in tears and then and then the change did come with Alan Sam Axelman. but in terms of how serious the injury is he only had light strapping immediately afterwards he did leave in, in a boot and on crutches but that was partly precautionary at this stage we are speaking at 11.37 on Monday morning at this stage, there isn't a, a scan results back. We don't yet know exactly what is happening with Bruno and what, what the extent of the injury is. And I think Newcastle was slightly more hopeful last night than, than it, in the initial stages of how serious it was. But I think that there is a realisation he probably is going to be out for, for a period of time. It's just that the length of that time. And then when that comes to transfers, Newcastle already wanted a midfielder. Elliot Anderson also has a slight calf injury. So basically, he had to change to a 4-2-3-1 in the second half of yesterday because he only had two midfielders, one of whom was Joe Linton, who started as a left-sided forward, came back to play as a double pivot, which he's never really done before. Did very well, but hasn't really done that before. And so Eddie Howe already wanted a midfielder. 
I think there is a hope from people within the club that this sort of focuses minds to make sure they do sign someone regardless. Even if Bruno Gimaraes turns out that he's, he's not out for an extended period, Newcastle are so light in that area. They don't have someone who can do what Bruno does, particularly with John Joe Shelby out injured at the moment. So I think Howe is hopeful that regardless of the extent of the injury, which they obviously want to be short term, that he wants that this makes people realise that they do need a midfielder this month. Yeah, George, it's it, it's really sad to see Bruno in, in such a state. I mean, he puts it all out there on the pitch, doesn't he? And, and I, I felt so sorry for the lad when he went off. Um, he looked in real discomfort. And, and you have to wonder if this is going to spark Newcastle into some into some action in the transfer window. We will see. We will see. I mean, I think that, yeah, it, it felt very peculiar at halftime because he had been in that dis- sort of discomfort for such, a, for such a long time. But You just worry in case it exacerbates it, don't you? That's the thing, yeah. of staying on the pitch, you know? I mean, and I'm not, this is not me speaking as a medical expert because clearly I'm not that, but I've seen replays of it and it's a proper going over on his ankle and I've done that myself. I mean, I've done that myself running and sort of misstepping slightly and going over your ankle and it, is, it can be something that you can, that you can sort of just run off. Um, albeit it, it causes you a bit of pain to start with. So I hope it's just something something like that. I mean, in retrospect, clearly he should have come off straight away. But he, you know, Eddie Howe said, you listen to the player first and foremost and, and see how they are. But yeah, it was, a, it was a strange, it was a strange interlude. And, you know, he's been such an important uh, player for Newcastle over the last year was confirmed as the Northeast Football Writers Player of the Year for for 2022 last week. So, congratulations for that. But yeah, he is one of the kind of difference makers, obviously, in the team. So hopefully, it'll be a short absence. Fingers crossed. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Jacob, we'll, we'll move on to Fulham's penalty shouts. We had two penalty shouts in the space of about 45 seconds, and while they were checking one, the other one happened. I'm going to come to you on this because we, I think me, me, George and Chris will all look at this with black and white hats on, and I would like to get your opinion on the two penalty shouts. Now, I personally don't think either of them should have been penalties. What's your take on this? See, so yeah, it's a bit of an odd incident because certainly from, from my perspective, Everything seemed to be about the burn challenge, which wasn't much of a challenge. It's more of kind of a jostle, an arm on the shoulder, and it didn't look hard enough um, for the player to go down. I could see why potentially if a ref had given it on the field, they wouldn't have overturned it, but right decision reached on that. And then the trippier one was a bit weird because it was one where you watch it in real time live, and apart from it being the edge of the area... Watching it first time, you think it's clash on the edge of the area. The defender's usually at fault, and is only then kind of watching it in slow-mo that you can see that Trippier's foot is actually stepped on first, then his trailing leg catches De Cordova Reed. And again, it's one where I was quite surprised it got overturned if it wasn't given on the pitch, because when they've then got the luxury of looking at that in slow-mo, I'm not quite sure what they saw to decide actually that foot being stepped on, that means it's a foul against Newcastle. I I didn't think it was strong enough by kind of a precedent which has been set already this season. So maybe I've just already developed a black and white hat, but I do agree with you three. Fair play. Well, this is what Kieran Trippier had to say about the whole thing. Yeah, I thought it was the one before because when it actually happened, I thought, oh, it's going to be a penalty. And when the referee said me, I was like, I can't remember going in for a tackle. Um, All I can remember is, is Reed standing on top of my foot. Like there, I've got a massive cut there. Ooh, so I can yeah. remember him standing on top of me and he said, I give the penalty away. And I was, 
I, I couldn't believe it. Um, but yeah, you know, I've not seen the video back. Um, but yeah, it's you know, football. Referee made his decision. He's got to carry on. I enjoyed the the little sound update there from George. Like, ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> no, it was, no, it was nasty. It was nasty. He had like these sort of big red welts across the top of his foot when he um, when he pulled his sock down there. I mean, I yeah. I mean, I I just hadn't I hadn't even seen that second coming together I just saw the burn one and the thing that makes it look dramatic is that there was sort of arms in the air so it sort of but my initial reaction to that was oh geez you know but then you have that strange thing where the play goes on for three minutes and the Fulham bench were absolutely cleared out and was surrounding the fourth official they're all going mad and yeah I mean I don't know whether the re- I don't know whether the referee got gets the second angle because there's one angle of the Trippier challenge and it just looks like a foul to me it just looked you know that's but you don't see you don't see that first foot on top of his foot I mean it's incredibly harsh really um but anyway yeah they got away with it they got away with it in the end but um yeah he was in he was in a fair bit of pain having said all that it's not like Trippier was leaving the Stadium on crutches or anything. He was walking comfortably, and he was and he looked okay. So that's that's good news. Just while George mentioned the Fulham bench, there one thing I noticed during the game was that Lewis Boamorte, the Fulham assistant, actually I think rivals Jason Tindall in kind of mad dog status. He was always out there giving it everything. He was right at Silver's back when Silver got cautioned at the end. Um, a little bit of a taste of Newcastle getting very medicine from the sideline, having this kind of tag team of trouble, kind of trying to. Influenced referee shout. Um, it is quite fun to be to be sat behind watching. Are you suggesting we should have some kind of um, bench royal rumble at some point and <laughs> tagging players in and out? It was it was quite nice at the final whistle because Tyndall and Bermorte actually after they'd done all the handshakes and everything they actually went on the pitch together sort of short arm in arm. It was like two sort of punch drunk two punch drunk fighters embracing at the final whistle. You gave out a load of shit. I gave out a load of shit. But here we are, we're all mates together. It was quite nice. But Tyndall did go for a slightly passive-aggressive head rub, though, on Boa Morte, <laughs> which I feel like if you are a bald man, isn't quite the, the move you want to happen to you. It does feel a little condescending. He's trying to get a little bit of a, a noogie in at the end. It was feisty, feisty, feisty. I think what we will say, uh, Chris, is that I don't think I've... I, I can't remember seeing a penalty like that with a double touch. Um, the penalty being taken away and Newcastle awarded a free kick. Um, Agent Mitro, he's he's back again, isn't he? What what the hell happened there? I mean, there's a bit of talk about the penalty spot and there's some other controversies and and, uh, conspiracy theories going on, but it was a really strange incident, wasn't it? It was. I mean, the the thing I just found astonishing was the fact that he just like ran off celebrating at first as if like, you could see there was a sheepishness about the way he celebrated, but also he was just like, you know, let's see if I can get away with this. And in a world of VAR, I mean, he was never going to no. get to get away with it. I mean, he didn't even need, didn't even need VAR to, to disallow it because Pope, before the ball even struck the back of the he net, had his arm he, up. Yeah. yeah. And then the rest of the Newcastle players were in at the referee and the referee, to be fair, and him, had spotted that one. And so it was, it was puzzling. His in, his penalty record this season, I think he's had six, or his last six penalties. Yeah, he's missed three, I think now. I think it's three. And our colleague, Pete Rutzler, who George christened Rutz the Relegator, but he's a relegator no more, uh, who covers Fulham, he did ask Marco Silver about that. And I think they're going to consider changing penalty takers because for all of Mitrovic's goals this season, well, the last couple of seasons, seemingly his penalty record isn't brilliant. And yeah, there is that sort of agent, Mitro. When it comes to all of the other antics, I know we're going to go on to all the other ones first. I haven't actually seen the full angles that allegedly show that... I didn't even know about half of this. ...that Callum Wilson allegedly came and sort of tried to ruffle the penalty spot with his foot. If that is the case, I think there is a line between... I do think there's a line between shithousing and just a dick move, and I'm I'm just not in favour of that sort of thing. And I'm not saying he's the first person who's ever done it. I'm not saying he'd be the last no. person who's ever done it. I just think there is a sort of... If if that was done to Callum Wilson, I don't think he he'd would be, be particularly raging. happy. So so I, I, just, I just want to say that. And I know that'll make me even more unpopular with our listeners who think that I'm <laughs> dull in this sort of way anyway. But I, I, I just want to say that as well. There was a lot of it going on, wasn't there, George? There was all sorts of stuff through the game. Nick Pope going down, the, the so-called penalty spot, uh, tampering, um, Joe Linton. Uh, even Jacob Murphy came on and five minutes later went down with cramp or some kind of pull on his leg. Uh, yeah, no, no. It, and, it, it, and There is a line, isn't there? Oh, yeah, but come on, it's a brilliant line. I mean, I don't care how big the line is. Um, 
So there was a huge amount going on. I mean, if we hadn't already written a bit about this after the Chelsea match, I would have sort of, I would have wanted to kind of go back through everything. There was the the thing with Jalinton was absolutely hilarious. There was a certain point that both teams come back to the touchline to chat to their coaching staff, and Jalinton is just in the throng of Fulham players having a drink and just standing there as Silver gives out orders to the team, and eventually. Jalinton was spotted. He's got this massive grin on his face and he's like sort of pushed back in quite jocular fashion to the to the Newcastle uh, area. I mean, that was hilarious. The, the Murphy thing, again, you know, probably have to use the word allegedly, although it was very funny. Matt Ritchie comes over to the touchline and is shouting at Murphy to go down. And Murphy is like looking at him for a while and then just goes down and starts like rubbing his hamstring in massively sort of exaggerated fashion so that the team are taking a bit of time to uh to to sort of recover it was i mean there was a lot of it yes and all the stuff around the penalty i haven't seen the wilson kicking but certainly saw pope holding onto the ball i think dan burn was holding onto the ball then a second ball comes onto the pitch and 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 pope sort of moves up to the spot gets a booking for that they were sort of doing everything i mean i know what i know what chris means and you know, I, I kind of want to see Newcastle blitz teams by playing absolutely beautiful football and um, and playing absolutely in the right way. But I have to be honest, I'd, there is that, you know, the, the the war flags picture of Eddie Howe in that stand before, before kick-off um, about not being popular, about competing. You know, it was a game that completely summed that up until they get to that point where... They're better than other teams in footballing sense. I want them to, I want them to be nasty. I want them to be. I want to use everything that they that they can to get a win. And having seen them be soft touches, and you know, at a club that was barely trying, that was going through the motions, I love seeing them do this. And if it happens against your team, you absolutely loathe it. I can see why it would turn people off. I, you know, completely understand it. But, you know, Newcastle aren't going to get anything from other teams, other clubs, other fans. And, you know, whatever they're getting, they're doing it for themselves. So most of it, though, I have to be honest, I just found really funny. You get away with as much as the referee allows you, right? That's like, it. Well, it's bending and not breaking the rules, it, isn't it? At the penalty around Wilson, there's the referee and there's two lines people watching do it. If one of them's not got their eyes on the spot and isn't going to hand out a yellow card or anything like that, you keep trying to get away with it until someone's actually going to stamp down on it for me. Absolutely. I was going to say, Jacob, as well, it, it was interesting. Chris mentioned the change of formation earlier on. Newcastle going to a 4-2-3-1 after Isaac came on. Isaac was almost playing as kind of a like a free Roman number 10, wasn't he? He was just ghosting about behind Callum Wilson, picking up the ball wherever he wanted. He he, he seemed to kind of enjoy that, that little role that he had and obviously came up with a goal at the end as well. Yeah, it really was bizarre. And actually for that goal, him dropping back kind of to the edge of the D and kind of dictating play a little bit from there rather than just kind of getting into the penalty spot played a really key role and then getting it back out wide for the ball to eventually come in I think what was also weird was seeing Isaac, Sam Maximan and Wilson all on the pitch at the same time when Fulham are sort of pressing at the same time back kind of it was it, you just did not expect to see all three of those at the same time and we were chatting in the press box about whether it was kind of a 4-4-2, a 4-2-3-1. It did definitely feel as if Isaac was dropping back. And I mean, personally, I had no idea that Isaac could play in that number 10 role. I don't know if we'll see more of it when we're talking about whether Isaac and Wilson could play together. We're talking more about Isaac out wide, but it's just another string to Hell's bow, isn't it? If it plays on, you like to have players who are interchangeable, who can kind of level up. And if Bruno's injury is serious. It, it can only really be a, a good thing if that is a system which can work in certain game states. Not saying for a whole 90 minutes, but if they're pushing for a goal and that works, good for Newcastle. Yeah, Chris, it did. It sort of felt like needs must, didn't it, at the time? And and, and like you say, Newcastle was short on midfielders. Um, lovely to see Wilson and Isaac combine for that goal, though. And, and great presence of mind from Callum Wilson to get that ball across. And good movement from Isaac. He's in the right place. He's took a gamble and got beyond the defender and just been able to nod it in the net. And, and St. James's Park absolutely explodes again. It was brilliant. 
It did. I mean, just a, a special mention that uh, Alan from work gave for Sean Longstaff on Match of Lovely the Day 2 in the UK, that. which I would very much agree with. Not just for the ball in, though, I thought the all-round performance, he was everywhere, really. Again, covered the most ground for, for Newcastle, as he has done so many games this season. He does, yeah. Moved from the right-sided number eight rule to then being, first of all, the, the number six, and then he was sort of uh, the double pivot alongside... Uh, I'm going to keep saying double pivot as much as I can, alongside... That's two <laughs> now. That's this is the second Jordan. double pivot of the podcast, Chris. It's the second I thought we'd got rid of this. I thought we'd managed to... to we'd cleaned you out with this. I just have to keep bringing it back. Spoil everything. But yeah, and so 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 to mention that, but but the I mean the goal itself showed how they could combine. I mean I thought it was terrible defending for Fulham. Margot Silva has moved to a five man defence, and they just completely ignore Isak. So Wilson manages to 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 get in behind, gets a little bit fortunate that comes to him, but then really does well with his presence of mind to get across. And just nobody has followed. I mean Tim Reams just standing there and then slaps the ground and said, like, "Well, why didn't you follow the centre forward who's just come on the pitch and then scores?" So it was it was a great moment. I think that he made an impact in in each of the last two games that he's come on. He did well in the forty five minutes that he started against Sheffield Wednesday and. I mean, Alan St. Maximan hasn't actually started a league game since August. Well, you have to remember, Newcastle have got into this position without their club record signing and without Alan St. Maximan starting games. They they ha- are hopefully... It, 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 the worry is now Bruno Gimaraes gets injured at just the same time as they're getting these really strong attacking players back so that they're struggling to keep a full squad fit as basically any, any team will always have that. But it is nice that they are getting more and more attacking options and hopefully that means they can start putting away more and more of these chances. I just wanted to mention St. Maximum actually because I thought he I thought he did make a big difference when he came on. But, but, but the thing that I wanted to highlight was that he came absolutely tearing across the pitch and did a brilliant covering tackle not too far from the from the dugouts. And it was like, okay, yeah, he, he's got the message, he's got the memo. And um, you know, that's always been the question about him, about whether putting him in the team, you know, does bring Newcastle difference, but you have to give up something in terms of pressing and in terms of uh, sort of energy. I was really impressed with that. And I do also want to echo Chris's uh, comment about Sean Longstaff. I thought he was exceptional. I thought he was really, really good. People have uh, mentioned the mischances, and I can understand that because there's been some some bad ones. Um, but the energy that he brings to the team and the versatility and putting himself about like that. I just, yeah, I thought I thought he really stood out yesterday. Um, great for him and absolutely vital to the team. Absolutely. Well, Chris, we're, we're kind of halfway point in the season now. Um, it's It's been an amazing first half to the season, but do you think Newcastle can keep this momentum going? It's going to be a tough ask, isn't it? Well, it is, but I, I certainly hope so. I mean, this is this is sustained form over 12 months now. Since that Leeds win, uh, which was almost exactly a year ago, I, I, as I keep saying every week, I, I I hope that they can. I'm not I'm not going to put any pressure on them to say that they have to, though. I mean, it looks it is looking good. I mean, in the piece that Jacob and George wrote uh, from the match, they had a statistic in there that since ninety five ninety six, eighty nine percent of the of the teams who have been in this position at this stage of, of this of the season go on to finish in in the top four and so hopefully that continues and that Newcastle get I don't want to jinx anything from that but it shows that, that that they have a very very good opportunity from this position they're in the last four of uh, the League Cup if you'd offered anyone this at the start of the season they would have snapped your hand off for it and so let's just hopefully long may it continue and we can just see how far this side can actually go Absolutely Right then let's uh, let's hear again once more from Kieran Trippier No absolutely delighted with the position that we're in of course uh, we've worked extremely hard all season but yeah we've not done anything yet you can't take the foot off the gas because this league's relentless and we just need to keep keep going and, and keep doing what we're doing really Make sure you pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay one ninety nine a month for the first year at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. That's one ninety nine a month for your first year at theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. This episode is supported by season three of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? 
FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So a flurry of league and cup activity in the next couple of weeks could see us finish January in the top four and in a cup final for the first time since 1999. Uh, George, cup fever is well and truly upon us, isn't it? Everybody is talking about it. People have booked hotel rooms. People are looking at train tickets. Are we getting a bit ahead of ourselves here? Yes, of course we are. But you can't blame us really, can you? I mean, No, not at all. I, I sort of said at the start that I've sort of felt this edginess and twitchiness since I mean, since since Newcastle beat Leicester, but really it was actually it was actually Southampton beating Man City uh, the the night afterwards, and then the draw happening, and yeah, I I think there's been this really kind of lovely lightness about St James's Park since the takeover, and what I mean by that is obviously there were huge games last season, but you had that feeling when you went into the stadium that. It sort of didn't matter what happened because you knew that the club would be better in six months' time or a year's time. People were just enjoying having that feeling of anticipation again, really just wanting to be there and pay, pay, you know, pay witness and all that sort of stuff. I, I've got that sort of tension back again, um, and I do think that's to do with the cup, and it's because you know, obviously, we want Newcastle to keep winning in the league because that means they finish in the top four, etc. But there's something very, very tangible here and now, just on on the horizon. And you know, we don't need to go back through the stats, but you know, none of us doing this podcast have seen Newcastle win anything. Obviously, um, it's not happened in our lifetimes, um, and so it just feels like there's something. You know, that opportunity is such a massive one, and. It feels to me like it kind of overshadows everything. Jacob and I went down to the food bank on Saturday just to have a chat and say hello and donate and stuff. And um, there was a lad there um, who I know who I just said hello to, and he was like saying, "Oh God, I've, it's like I'm 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 going to press the button on a six hundred quid hospitality ticket for Wembley. You know, I know I know that I won't get a ticket because I haven't got a season ticket." Um, and it's just like just in case. I mean, I can't afford it, but I'm just going to do it. And it's like, oh, oh God, you know. And you're catching yourself in all the conversations you have. It's like, don't think about it. Don't think about. But I've got to think about it. It's like you're going to put your trains. And it's like, well, no, no, I, I, I can't. Um, and even like professionally, we're talking internally about number of match day tickets we would get for Wembley and things like that, or what we might write about if Newcastle get there. And it's like, please don't, please don't, please don't. Please, let's not talk about it. But you sort of have to at the same time. So it's it's kind of brought a real tension, I think, to the club for the first time in a long time. Because, I mean, it's a good tension because it shows that there's something positive at stake. But it is that edginess of needing to think about it. Will I get there? What's going to happen? You know. Um, so it's it's a for me. I don't know what you how you feel, Taylor, but for me, it feels like a proper mood change around the place. Absolutely. I, I, every single person I've spoke to, it's been the first topic of conversation. Anybody who I know who likes football, even my dad, who's not massively bothered about football and, and, and has been a Sunderland fan his entire life. First thing he said, if they get there, you're going to go. It's the first thing he said, what are you going to do? How are you going to get a ticket? And it's just, it, it's permeating through every single conversation that I have with anybody who likes Newcastle United. My little boy, again, can we go to Wembley? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> Can we? I don't know. We, we haven't even got past Southampton We're yet. Not let's there let's yet. think about this logically, yeah. son, you know. But um, yeah, it's, I mean, we know, Chris, we know that Eddie Howe won't tolerate anything, any nonsense about the cup, apart from 100% focus on the Crystal Palace game. It's going to be a real challenge, isn't it, the next couple of weeks of how he manages that squad and how he coaches them through this period. It's going to be a difficult one. It is, and I mean, it's a new challenge for Eddie Howe. He's not been in this position before. He's challenged for promotions a lot of the time, so he's been in that in terms of that awful word, expectations, and a side sort of winning every week. But 
for a team to be third in the Premier League and into a semi-final of a cup, which he, he'd never reached that stage before uh, as a player or manager, it is it is a new experience. I I think that he, I mean, he's risen to just about every single other challenge so far. So I I wouldn't I, I wouldn't expect him to be unable to to reach this one as well. But it is a very different feel. It's also if you flip it, there's the negative side of it, but there's also there's there's, there's in terms of are they getting are people getting ahead of themselves? Uh, focus on the here and now. But Eddie Howe won't do that. And you can also use it to to as something that's powerful. I mean, he spoke again about war flags and the banner they unveiled about him at the at the weekend and just that sort of fervor that there is behind Newcastle United. Certainly, when teams come to St James's Park now, that is part of the reason why teams are are struggling and eventually Fulham were overwhelmed at the weekend and and and, and Newcastle found away in the 89th minute because the fans helped so much in the second half so I think that how rather than try to fight against it will internally make sure that it doesn't seep through any complacency but I think he'll also try to harness elements of it to make sure that that is actually something Newcastle have that other teams don't. Yeah it could be a great motivator couldn't it and Jacob Crystal Palace on the horizon as well on what's probably going to be a, a freezing cold wet Saturday tea time um, it presents a certain type of challenge doesn't it I mean even if they are struggling a bit they're 12th in the league they're, they're certainly capable of playing decent football. Yeah I mean Vieira wants to play with real intensity it was what he was known for in his career it's what he's trying to instill into that Palace team with Will Hughes in midfield you've got a shithouser who can rival things which Newcastle are doing I suppose my my, my question about it that I guess to the rest of you is do you think that Howell needs to rotate for it because the semi-finals three days later 72 hours later he rotated against Wednesday didn't go well but look how well they played against Leicester three days later can you afford to take a risk and rotate a little in the league? Like, what is the safer option here? It's fascinating that. I mean, they, they've been lucky in one respect because they don't have a game in between the two legs of the semis. Uh, I mean, I say lucky, it's because they were kicked out of the FA Cup. But Southampton yeah. do have Southampton do have a game that weekend. And obviously, we know where they are in the Premier League. They're really, really struggling, albeit they've had this uptick in form. So what, do, what does Eddie Howe do? He was burnt a bit about you know, uh, uh, from what happened at Hillsborough, that didn't work, albeit that game probably was justifiably third in the list of priorities that week. I can sort of absolutely understand that. Yeah, I mean, but he can't really afford, he also can't really afford to let things slip in the league either. So that is a that is a tricky one. That is a tricky one. Um, you know, my guess is that he'll go as, as, as strong as possible for both of those matches because I just don't think there's much of a uh, much of an option and hope you know hope that after the first leg against Southampton that you know that they can use that time to to get bodies back if necessary it's obviously going to depend on on fitness and, and injuries and stuff as well isn't it and who comes through this week unscathed and and where we are with regards to that Chris it's it it's got Eddie Howe's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place with this one because it, it, if you sacrifice that league uh, game to 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 proceed in the cup, you know it, we we could we could get beat in the cup as well, and then you haven't you haven't got anywhere with it. It's it's a difficult one, isn't it? It's a, it's a tough decision to make, uh, and like we say, he's been burned before with the South the Southampton game, the Sheffield Wednesday game. Sorry, and that was a a one where he got it wrong. Well, he would argue that he had no option. I mean, I said last week I thought he made one or two many too many changes for that game. I still stick by that to a certain degree, but equally. Given what has happened subsequently in injuries and, and and squad being stretched, he can he can make that argument back. I mean, the added complication for the two legs of the Southampton game, they have the advantage of that they don't have the FA Cup game in between. So that's the irony of that the the ironic benefit of going out of the of the FA Cup is unlike Southampton, they don't have a game in between the two. But Joe Linton uh, is at Magistrates Court on on the Thursday between the two matches. So whether that comes into yeah, depending on what happens with that, whether that comes into selection thoughts. We'll have to wait and see and see what what happens with with all of that. So he, he has a lot to balance at the moment, but a, a lot of them are positive. I mean, he'd rather have these issues. He said he said he'd rather still be in the FA Cup because he'd rather have fixture congestion to contend with as well. And hopefully by then, maybe Newcastle have started to make a bit of some moves into the transfer window. They they haven't as of yet. We're halfway through the month. They haven't signed someone. They're not even close to signing someone. But whether Bruno Guimaraes's injury uh, focuses minds in that sense and means that they do. That may give everyone a little bit of an added boost if they if they do have someone coming through the door as well. 
Uh, Jacob, you you know more than all of us uh, how dangerous James Ward Prowse is for Southampton as well. He got two goals against Everton uh, at the weekend, didn't he? He's a, he's a decent player and he knows how to hit a free kick as well, doesn't he? Yeah, James Ward ruined my weekend and sent Everton into an even bigger meltdown than they have been previously, which is saying something. He scored a trademark free kick goal for the second. It was a really weird free kick if people have seen it. It kind of hit the net in a really odd place. Something to do with where Pickford set his wall maybe or a lack of jumping, but it went in. He scored more free kicks than anyone else in Europe over the last few years. It isn't an exaggeration to call him the best free kick taker on the continent. I think he's only one behind David Beckham now, isn't he? For the Premier League record, I'm sure I read that. It's an absolutely crazy record and Newcastle, of course, you know, good at taking tactical fouls on the break, things like that. You just have to be wary of it. And then he's got a gorgeous first goal as well, kind of taking the ball in stride, chop turning. I think it's Ben Godfrey and sliding it past. So he is dangerous. And obviously Southampton did beat City and deservedly beat City. But at the same time, they're 20th for a reason and have looked absolutely dog under Nathan Jones for long, long passages of his reign so far. I say long passages as if he hasn't only been in charge for two months, but there's glimmers of hope for Southampton. But over two legs, you'd really hope that things would average themselves out a bit. Right then, just one more thing, or two more things even before we go. Uh, Chris Garon Cuyol, loan confirmed, and he would have had an assist as well on his debut, wouldn't he, if it wasn't for some absolutely disgraceful finishing. He's gone to hearts. He has gone to hearts. There are three Austrian. well, there were three Australians, there are now four Australians already within the Hearts squad. Um, he also, Robbie Nielsen, their manager, has made it clear that, that, that Garan Kowal will play. It may take a few weeks where he's introduced off the bench first to begin with, but then he is going to get game time. And Eddie Howard urged him to to go somewhere in the UK to get used to sort of the physicality of British football, but also somewhere where you play a good club, which is not too far away, easy for Newcastle to go uh, up and, and, and keep an eye on him and, and, and to just to get him those minutes. He's not ready for Premier League football yet. He may not be for, for, for a little while, but this is something which... Uh, Garan Kowal himself picked this move, but Newcastle uh, went up there with Shola Amiobi there, who's their loan coordinator. They looked clearly at the other options. There were options home and abroad, and they see this as as, as being uh, the, the logical next step for him. So hopefully he goes then does well. Yeah, already made that that burst uh, through and 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 showed his pace and, and passed the ball to to his teammate who who missed from a glorious chance. If you haven't seen it yet, then pr- probably look at it because it was a pretty terrible miss, but maybe just a glimpse of, of the sort of dynamism, pace and sort of excitement that, that Garan Kowal brings. Absolutely. And also, if you haven't seen this, check out Hosselu scoring uh, at the weekend as well. Remember him, George? Hosselu? Yeah, oh yeah, I remember him, yeah. Unbelievable goal from just inside the opposition's uh, half. Well, it was a good goal, but the goalkeeper for me needs to do better with that. I don't know if you've seen it, but it is, it's a good strike, but the keeper's got to do better. But any goal from just inside the opposition's half is worthy of mention, isn't it? Well, you've, you've mentioned it, yeah. <laughs> I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, so that's fine. <laughs> You've got absolutely no input on that whatsoever, have you? Not at all, no. None at all. Chris, would you like to have any input on Hosselu's goal? Or are you pleading the? F- are you taking the fifth as well? <laughs> no, no. It was a, it was an absolute absolute scream. And Newcastle didn't really see that from him, but he was he, he was someone who Rafa Benitez brought in and saw as a very reliable option in the way that he wanted to play. But he's he's banging the goals in back in yes. in Spain. He's been doing very well. Been t- towards the top of the goal scoring charts over the last couple of years. So I'm I'm most astounded that George actually says he remembers him because George didn't remember anything. So I don't know if he was lying. Oh no, I do remember Hosselo, all right. Yeah, no, I do remember him. Although I do, I mean, I did actually quite. I I liked him. It was he was he was a centre forward. He wasn't a kind of brilliant one at all, but he was necessary. And um, yeah, no, I, I remember him with a degree of fondness. One of the first games I ever took my son to at St James's Park, I put a bet on for first goal scorer, and I said to him, "Who should we pick?" And he said Hosselo, and I said, "You're an idiot." It's just not going to happen. And and Hosselu scored. <laughs> he scored the first goal. So I will always be thankful for that. Uh, yeah. So anyway, chaps, let's wrap things up unless there's anything else we want to discuss before we go. 
I just wanted to draw attention to the fact that for the first time, I think I've ever heard it, never mind it was mentioned on this podcast, that Jacob used the term it was dog or whatever he said to refer to something, which I assume is, is, is a slang which I'm unclear exactly what it means. I mean, I, so I can assume what it means, but could you just go into some depth, Jacob, on exactly what that means? I think it derives from dog shit, quite simply. But uh, ah, being as yet unaware good. of the full swearing rules on this podcast, I thought that dog and bringing a little bit of my lingo into the podcast was was a bit of a safer route to go down. But I've ruined that effort now. And so... No, for, I mean, for future reference, there are no rules in terms of swear. I mean, well, the rules are that we have to swear. So, I mean, I think that's... It's, it's think, impossible to not sometimes, isn't it? I think that's mandatory. I mean, I think Newcastle... I guess then I can bring up the fact then would... Mitrovic have missed that penalty if he didn't try to twat it. If he had just gently gone and passed it in, he wouldn't have slipped. Fulham win one nil. It's another bit of evidence. <laughs> oh, God, so, like, Jacob, like, Jacob, Jacob, Jacob. I mean, no, Jacob. I mean, you're young. You've got a lot. To, what's that phrase? Um, no, no, that was, I was thinking of Michael Caine and get Carter. You're a big man, but you're out of shape. That doesn't apply to you at all. Um, <laughs> That's probably more relevant to me, George, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> should have saved that up. Um, no, I mean, that's, you know, you, 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 you're good, Jacob, but you, know, you don't come onto this podcast like that and taking cherished ideals and throwing them back in my face. I simply won't have that. I mean... Not in your house. He's sl- not in my house, no. Don't exactly. walk into yeah. George's manor. <laughs> <laughs> and behave like that. A, a twatted penalty is a good penalty. Ivan oh, Tony did another one of those penalties. It was very. It was like it was pretty good that penalty that of, of his. But I still, yeah, I still don't like it. Two step run ups will never fill me with anything other than dread. Anyway, it wasn't the twatted penalty that was a problem. It was the twatted up penalty spot by Callum Wilson that caused that. <laughs> So, yeah. Absolutely. Right then, thanks a lot, chaps. Let's finish things up. Don't forget, go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod where you can pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay just £1.99 a month for your first year. Uh, Cheers, guys. Thanks, Jacob. Thanks for coming back. Enjoyed it. Cheers. Good stuff. Cheers, Chris. You're very welcome. Thanks a lot. And thank you, George, as always, for your time. You're incredibly welcome. Oh, you sounded all James Bond like there. That was lovely. Uh, thanks a lot to all you listening as well. Uh, this has been Pod on the Time. We'll be back next week. Speak to you soon. Bye bye. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.